The reading today is from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that, they may, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death, and cover over a multitude of sins. The word of the Lord. Well, I wonder if you've been seeing some of the photographs that have been coming back from the top of the world this week from Mount Everest seen this on the news this week? Pretty incredible, actually. It's, uh, this, this, it's climbing season there, and so way up there, there it is, way up there on the, kind of the knife edge of the, the summit of Everest. It looks like opening night at the, adventure, at the Avengers. I mean, they are queued up, waiting to get to the summit, then get back down in a short period of time all awaiting their turn to get up there. The problem is that some of these climbers, while standing in this line, they're running out of their supplemental oxygen, their canisters that they carry with them, and they're spending too much time in the line, and the oxygen is running out. Can you imagine that, that situation? Caught between fulfilling your, your climber's ultimate dream, Mount Everest, and breathing. You know, what, which do you choose? <laughs> 29,000 feet above sea level, trying to take a deep breath, fill your lungs fully. To me, there's, there's, there's no decision to be made. I choose breathing. <laughs> I always choose breathing. It's essential. Here at the end of the book of James, this little letter, this little practical letter of wisdom, we read some very curious direction, I think. James seems to want to say something about the depth of the way that we care for each other, that we are for each other. Here at the end of this letter that's chock full of advice comes this one instruction. He says, I want you to, to pray for each other and I want you to confess to one another. Are you having trouble? 
Are any of you sick? Are you happy? Have you sinned? James, I think, knows something about this life that we live. He knows the predicaments that we encounter. He knows that we can be worn down with troubles. He knows. He knows that we're often out on that knife edge of life, trying to breathe, trying to get a breath. It's difficult at times. Predicaments that we're into, often not of our own making, but there we are nonetheless. What do we do? So often the, the common wisdom of our time is just breathe. Just breathe. And I try. Certainly they're trying up there on that edge of the mountain. Dean Young, an American poet, has said, you start with a darkness to move through, but sometimes the darkness moves through you. It's no wonder James then ask the question at the end of his letter, are you happy? Are you troubled? Is everything okay in your life? Because he knows that most of us are, to some degree, troubled in some way, seeking wholeness in some fashion, looking for healing in some way. He knows that so many of us just want a good, strong breath of life that we want to be whole. You know, our daughter, she sent us one of those uh, sonogram photos this week. It, you know, it came in right on my, my iPhone. <laughs> I, you know, I sat there in my office this week just looking at my phone and looking at my grandchild. That's different, right? <laughs> Yeah, so I held this image of my grandchild, the little guy or the little gal she wouldn't tell, and I couldn't tell. <laughs> I tried, but I, didn't, I can't see anything. <laughs> but anyway, he or she is just in there, in that, in that sonogram image, kicking back in a recliner like just laying there, snoozing away apparently for the next seven months all cozy and comfy, everything being taken care of, no, no issues that I could see. I thought, man, it must be nice in there. <laughs> we had this little chat. I said, just think all you're going to experience. 22nd century? Maybe. Wow. Maybe we'll ride bikes together. Maybe we'll ski I'm sure there's going to be some hard days out there for you. Man, school. School. Get ready for that. Huh? Lots of that. A lot of school. Complicated times. Enjoy the womb, I said. But you'll be okay out here with the rest of us. We'll hang out. We'll talk. Plus, there's ice cream. <laughs> Don't tell mom. <laughs> And plus, you got a zillion cousins, it seems, who will probably pound on you, but also, in a strange way, help you through. No wonder James begins this little letter by encouraging us back there in chapter 1 to consider all joy when you face trials of many kinds. He knows. 
And he comes back to it here at the end of the letter, the same note, that life can have times when we are indeed mired in difficulty. There are these broken days of isolation from others, even from ourselves and certainly from God. Moments that turn us all into psalmist, you know, like King David, when the worst seemed to come down on him, and he would say things like, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And it just hurts. We yearn for that, that breath of life to fill us. And so James, he asks that question, is any among you suffering? And he uses this word only five times in the New Testament, that word for suffering just means afflicted. Are any of you afflicted, troubled, sick? There are these days when we can feel our deep lostness, our minds riding the rocky edge of a trail, conflicted with thoughts of love and generosity of spirit, as well as thoughts of bitterness, thoughts only of self. How does that happen? Why is that? Why do we live at times in that awkward in-between place? You know, intimacy, and it's so great, but then also extreme coldness with others. And we can be lonely. Why are we almost at once sometimes filled with compassion, but then also disinterest? How does that happen? Is anyone happy? James wants to know. Lately, I've been, I've been thinking, I want you to be happier, happier. I can't sing it, but I like that song. <laughs> I've been thinking, I want you to be happier, happier, right? Anybody heard that song? Great. I think it's a breakup song <laughs> by some guy named Marshmallow. <laughs> I mean, even that's kind of fun. But it does beg the question, what would you do to help someone be happier? <laughs> what would you do to find that happiness yourself? James says it has to do with God, right? Connecting with God, going deeper with God, being more in connection, not only with God, but with other people. He says it has to do with prayer. Pray for one another, he says, if you are troubled or sick. Have the elders come and pray for you. And you should know the very word there, elders, it's Presbyterian. <laughs> In Greek, presbyteros. Have those old people. It doesn't really mean old. It just means people that are closer to God. Seriously. That's really what it is. Those that are, are spiritually mature. Presbyterians. Call the Presbyterians over to the house. People who take their faith seriously. People who know that life is complicated, it can be broken. People whose breath at times has been taken away, but have found in Christ that new life has come pouring back in. Go to those people. Connect with them. Bring them into your life. Pray with them, and they for for you and you for them. You know, James, in this little passage, he insinuates that there's a way through when you're troubled, when you're sick. It involves opening our lives to people who've been there too. 
people who've experienced the wholeness of Christ. There's, not, there's to be no suffering alone. Others are to be sought and others are to be invited in. That's where we get hope. And we build with those people a spiritual friendship, a way that goes beyond the surface and into the depths. Yeah, I walk into a lot of hospital rooms. And I got to tell you, I'm still not really sure what I'm doing there most of the time. There's all those machines, as you know. There's things that are whirring and purring, and there's tubes, and there's valves and knobs. and There's just a lot going on, as well as people coming in and out. They're changing bags and fluids. And, yeah, there I stand. And I feel like I don't have a lot. And when the room clears, I'll say something like, want to pray? Or want to hear a song? And it just feels a little feeble, to be honest. Yet, when we stand there and we call upon the Almighty to be present and to bring presence and healing and courage and comfort, something transpires, something happens, and it helps. So James reminds us that the prayer offered in faith will bring healing, will bring wholeness, that the Lord will raise them up. One preacher said that uh, prayer is not mere wishing, it's asking with a will. It's energy that we turn to an active giver. Of standing over a bed and offering prayer. I realize it's just as much about me as it is about the person in the bed. It's about my faith, my desire to believe, my trust in God, to trust the hardest part of life to God. Where's James go with this? This line that's probably the one we should hold on to at the end of the book of James. He says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful, dunamis, dynamite. (laughs) It's powerful and effective. Prayer, that feeble, you know, cumbersome, not very articulate, you know, that, those words that we utter, they're powerful and effective. And then he says an interesting thing. He says, let me tell you about Elijah, who is a human being just like you, who is an anthropos, he says. That's the word. He's anthro. He's man. He's human. He's just like you. And they revered Elijah, the Jews. I mean, he was, he was way up there with Moses. And so they thought, Elijah, wow. Certainly Elijah's prayers worked, but my prayers? Elijah was just like you. He was, a, he was anthropos, James says. Just like you. Remember that story? Elijah combating the the prophets of Baal out there in the 9th century B.C. Yeah, they were looking to other other gods. And yeah, so they had this contest. Yeah, Elijah said, well, you go ahead and build your altar. And we'll see if your God can rain fire down on on your sacrificial altar. And they did, and they tried, and they tried, and they tried, and nothing would happen, and Elijah's over in the corner, and he's mocking them. If you read that story, he's just mocking them. 
Maybe your God's asleep, he says. He's over there with his Bic lighter. You know, need a light? <laughs> then it comes his turn, and he builds this massive altar, 12 stones, one for each tribe of Israel, and piles stuff on top of it. You know, and finally he says, no, that's not quite enough. I'm going to douse it with water, all these jars of water. But he pours it over this altar. You know, and finally he prays. And it just rains. Well, it's already wet. <laughs> Down comes fire. Down comes this just massive fire and ignites this altar. Elijah, just like us, right? Don't you do those kind of things? Just like us, though, James says. Elijah is the one. He says, well, if the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And this great line, how long will you go limping along with two different opinions? How long? Who will you trust? Elijah? Just like you and me. A man of great prayer. I read about a guy who uh, returned to his car in the parking lot. He, he found a note under the windshield wiper. And our note read like this. It said, I just smashed into your car. The people who witnessed the collision are watching me. They probably think I am writing down my name and address. I'm not. <laughs> they are wrong. That was it. <laughs> that was the note. <laughs> Nothing more written. You know, we can be really cagey, can't we, when it comes to confessing who we are, what we've done, what we think, how we feel. Who wants to come off like that as someone less than perfect or even less than good? We can make our lives appear much more refined, much more trouble-free than they really are. We can harbor our, our hurts and our guilts and our shame our grudges, our bitterness, and put on that right face for the right people. Yet James believes that we're missing something vital for the wholeness of our lives when we are less than authentic with each other and with God. So he says, confess so that you may be healed. I think this is where we get the line that confession is good for the soul. It is the avenue that God gives us within the church to bring happiness, to bring wholeness and healing to one another. Bob Newhart, the comedian, he was fond of saying, I would like to make a motion that we face reality. James would make that motion, that we face reality. You know, the heart of the, the fall of humanity in the very beginning wasn't really the actual event. It, it was more the cover-up of it all. Remember that? The refusal to, to come clean about what had happened there in the garden. God's very nature is, is one of grace, and God wants to restore us and to heal us and bring into our lives a, a sense of wholeness so that when God shows up in the garden, and, and we read that he's walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, that's the idea of wholeness that God gives us. 
And God notices that something isn't quite as it should be. He, he puts the question to the man, what's going on here? What happened here? But they were hiding in their shame. They covered up. No one was saying anything. There was no confession going on. Instead, we read that Adam is saying, I hid myself. He's putting a distance between himself and God. The shame had overtaken him. Ever done that? Kept the real you kind of all tucked away in some private place? Mental health people talk about the, the imposters phenomenon. That universal sense that at some level we're all faking it. Each of us, Paul Tournier, the psychologist, said, does his best to hide behind a shield. The tragedy of hiding is that when God is walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, we miss it. We miss the breath, the breath of air that, that God wants to provide and that we so much need. And so James held that this transaction needs to take place with God, but also with others. We confess, he says, to one another. He brings the church into this whole transaction with God. It's not just me and thee confessing my sins and all is well. It's, it's corporate. We, we come together. And that seems so risky to me to unveil our faces. Paul would write about the freedom that comes when our faces are unveiled, that we're revealed to each other in the church. So the Bible is full of all this instruction to take our lives with our complexities before God. You know, David says, I confessed all my sin to you, O God, and stopped trying to hide them. And the Lord forgave me, he says. Let me change the, the metaphor a little bit. Remember Peter and Jesus, and uh, Jesus is teaching, and Peter has been at sea all night fishing, and the boat is now up on the beach, and Jesus comes along and wants to push out from the beach. And so he asks Peter to push the boat out. And when he finished speaking to the crowd, he turns again to Peter and he says, put out into deep water. Let down your nets for a catch. And you know how the story goes. They, they go out, well, first Peter objects and says, well, you don't really know what fishing's all about. And but since you say it, Lord, I'll do it. We'll do this. And so they go out, and the nets fill to breaking, and other boats are called over to help with this big catch, and they too begin to sink under the load. So there's Peter standing knee-deep in fish. Can you imagine that scene? Yeah, it's just, they're just everywhere, all around him. And Peter, in that moment, realizing maybe who this is, says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. It's confession. It's reality. And he quickly understands that this is the one who can free him, who can heal him. He's unveiled in Christ's glory. So they pull the boats up on the shore and they leave everything and they follow him. That transaction just changes people. We learn that Jesus likes to do things like this, come up to us and sort of put his foot up on the the edge of our lives and say, put out in the deeper water. Put down your nets. We're going deeper. We need to understand things a little deeper.
You know, sometimes going deep can unearth deep issues, pain, resentment. The truth can, can get you into trouble. Sometimes going deep causes you to do things that your parents think are maybe a little bit crazy, like going to Kenya <laughs> instead of getting a summer job. You got beans and brew, and <laughs> it's risky. We tell our friends, no, I don't want to do that because, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it's risky. We may hear things we really don't want to hear. We may have to leave our nets, the life that we know, and live much more in the unknown. Someone once said that it's possible to live the Christian life a mile wide but an inch deep. Jesus would say, push out into deep water. Let's go deeper with each other. It's powerful stuff. I love this quote. Uh, For the distresses of choice are our chance to be blessed. And the Spirit of Christ is always pushing us on those distresses of choice to grab at the chance to be blessed, to pull in some big catch in our lives, to, to bring healing to us, or in James' words, to be whole, to be healed. Now, you know that last month I, I spent some time with uh, what's called a, a covenant group, 13 of us pastor types that get together once a year for four days. And we have it set up so that we really simply have just time to talk to each other. We have a topic every year, but that takes back seat to you know, the coffee shop time, the golf time, just hanging out time. And we just want to talk, find out how it's going, how you're breathing with one another. And then near the end, we have these what we call the seven deadly questions that we sit down in pairs and kind of ask each other, and we have them pretty well memorized after 29 years. Here they are if you're interested. Here's what we ask each other. Have you been with a woman that might be seen as compromising? We're all men. <laughs> Have any of your financial dealings lacked integrity? Have you exposed yourself to any sexually explicit material? Have you spent adequate time in Bible study and prayer? Have you given priority time to your family? Have you fulfilled the mandates of your calling? Have you just lied to me? <laughs> always the last one <laughs> so over the years we've intentionally asked these questions they're about accountability of course they're about honesty and authenticity and humility it's about breathing again releasing each other again and so we've aged <laughs> and the questions are adjusted this year, one of the guys sent out these questions. I didn't put them up here, but do I have to be in a group with you again? <laughs> I get so tired of hearing the same old answers. <laughs> Did you get into a compromising position on the floor recently and couldn't get yourself up without help? <laughs> if you actually had any money at all, would you misuse it? <laughs> have you even seen your family in the last year? <laughs> Did you remember your wedding anniversary this year? 
Are you ready to admit that Keith, one of the guys in the group, are you ready to admit that Keith is better than you? <laughs> and did you just lie to yourself? It's fun, but it's also humbling. Confess to one another so that you will be healed. You know, and James pushes it, doesn't he? He goes all the way to the place of saying that we can restore people in their faith. Isn't that amazing? That we're a part of that process of people not slipping away in their faith. Tim Keller once wrote about how many things in our culture work against the maintenance of real community. He said this, that we are conditioned in countless ways to think and to act as individuals only, not as members of any body. And even our individual relationships are thinned out based on images rather than presences. He goes on to talk about how we are a, a visited people, that God didn't just send his word into the world, you know, written pages, but he, he sent Jesus, a world visited by its designer, by its creator, and he stands on the shoreline of our lives, and he puts his leg up on the side of our lives, and he says, put out into deep waters. Be fully present with others. Pray with them. Confess to them. Let them confess to you. Let yourselves need people. We must steer clear of all that talk about finding our own path, seeking our own experience of the divine. You know, I think I've majored in times in individual discipleship and I've minored in spiritual friendship. It's too hard. Too many classes. <laughs> too much to show up for. Too many assignments to fulfill. People are complicated. They're hard, and they don't always agree with me. <laughs> are you troubled? Are you happy? How are you doing out there on the edge of that mountain that you're climbing? trying to breathe. Here's the real trouble, that when you're in trouble, it's often too late. Nobody walks around and says, oh, air, I love air. Isn't air great? Man, I, I use a lot of air, <laughs> especially right now. <laughs> Isn't air great? Nobody ever says that kind of thing. What good would life be without air? No. You only start to feel that way when you're, when you're out there on the edge of that mountain and you're running out of air. Then you say, air, I need air. You don't walk around saying, I need friends. I need someone to listen to me. No, but when you do need someone to listen to you, it's good if they're there. Those spiritual friendships, we need them to go deeper in our lives, to show up for God and for ourselves and for others, to be fully present to one another, to be little Christ to each other. Even as God in Christ is fully present to us, we, we need others to be present to us and we to them. How are you breathing? then we'll breathe better. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for asking about how we're doing. Troubled, afflicted, happy. Thank you for that person that's sitting next to me and around me and behind me and in front of me. Thank you for those people that I'm traveling to Kenya with that are going to support me and show me more of you. Thank you for this church, for the ways we extend spiritual friendship. Most of all, thank you for forgiveness, the wholeness that comes only in Christ. Lord, we trust in you. You are the transformative one. Bring your change. Push us out into deep water where we will be made whole. In Christ's name, amen.